good afternoon, everyone. Uh, this is your captain speaking. Uh, we're just about ready for takeoff now, so, uh... Shit, everybody move now. Go, go, go. Inside, everybody inside. To the stairs, quickly. Everyone head to the roof. The helicopter's waiting there. Go, go. No, no. No, you're lying. That, that's what demons do. They lie to cause men of God to doubt. I'm not telling any lies now, Father. I can feel it in your soul that you know what I say is true. There's so much blood everywhere. Where be the rest of them? I... I can't tell. What is doing this, Mr. Simon? That couldn't have been done by no man, I swear it. I don't know. I don't know. From the minds of true crime guys comes Sandu Stories. Our brand new channel devoted to our previously Patreon-exclusive content, where we'll be bringing you our own version of true crime what-ifs and other audio dramas, one season at a time. Join us wherever you get your podcast on February 7th. Now, let's get strange. I can feel your fear growing and your faith dwindling. It's an intoxicating feeling. February 7th. Back to the True Crime Guys podcast. I'm Lauren, and I'm Michael. How we doing? We're back. We have a uh, interesting case of a woman's descent into madness. She was yes. very disturbed and went on a rampage in the final day of her life. We found that case, however, because I mean, it's this one that I don't know. I just I'd never heard of her. She kind of flies under the radar, and most people have heard of her through a much larger case, the Tylenol murders, which we just covered on Sandu. Yes. Uh, strange and unexplained. If you uh, if you ain't nasty. That's right. <laughs> That's right. She was a suspect uh, in the Tylenol murders because she dabbled in uh, doing some poisoning herself with arsenic and whatnot. Very poorly, I might add. Yeah, very poorly. Apparently, she not couldn't the, cook. Not so. a great poisoner by any no. means. She, she probably actually need... one of the worst poisoners I've ever seen. <laughs> actually, <laughs> she poison. is the worst poisoner I've ever She's seen. She's the worst poisoner. Hands right. down. Yeah, Let's because... Throw some arsenic into these fucking cookies, and it's gonna, they're going to taste like ass, and no one's going to eat them. Okay, how do you fuck up Rice Krispie Treats? Because that's what she used. How the hell do you fuck up Rice Krispie Thank Treats, you. Lauren? Like, exactly. You, just, you throw it, some arsenic in them, which has a flavor. <laughs> like, the whole idea is you're supposed to poison people with, like, un, unflavored, unscented stuff. Right. Not, what a rookie poisoner. I mean. She really was. Come on. Like, yeah. yeah so, uh, she was such a bad cook, thankfully, thankfully that no, yeah. one, no one actually died from her horrible arsenic Rice Krispie treats. But I have a feeling she, even if there wasn't arsenic in them, they still would have been shitty Rice Krispie treats. Probably. She was that bad at cooking. Yeah. Well, if we got, we got, a, she had an incredible life, incredibly interesting for one thing, but yeah. incredibly, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, she was very entitled. She grew up with a lot of money. She didn't have to do a lot for herself. So why would you expect her to know how to cook? You know what I'm saying? Yeah. She don't know nothing about this stuff. She don't know nothing about this stuff. And she had severe mental illness. I mean, that's that not, too. I was making light of that or making fun of it, it, but it just got worse. And I think it was partially, you know, 
her parents were partially to blame for not getting her mm-hmm. help sooner. A big part. Um, yeah. And she just kept getting worse and they just kept bailing her out and, you know, using their money to just get her through another day without yep. seeking treatment. And I think later on they finally started to try and get her help, but it, she was almost too far gone by then. Yeah, absolutely. It's like they didn't want this stain on their family reputation, their family bloodline, yeah. you know, it's like, so they just kept ignoring it. She was an inconvenience to them for sure. Mm, no doubt. No doubt. So, well, all right. Let's get into it. Let's do it, man. News that something awful happened at Hubbard Woods Elementary School spread quickly through this quiet Winneka neighborhood. Parents rushed to the school not knowing what to expect. Police soon confirmed their worst nightmares. She apparently just walked in the classroom, went uh, past the uh, teacher that was there, indicated that the gun was real, and uh, began firing at random. And he's my baby of eight. It's very upsetting to everybody around here. It's terrifying. Your legs can't carry you to the school. They give out. You don't know how you're going to get to the front door to find out what's going on. I have my children at home, locked up on the second floor. It was a day-long, violent event that shook Chicago and the world. A deranged armed woman went into a North Shore grade school classroom, the first attack of its kind, and that took and changed lives. There was a warning, and no one paid attention. If it could happen, something like that could happen in a town like Winnetka, it could happen anywhere. They are mentally disturbed, but the ability to get your hands on a weapon, and particularly the weapons they use, is unbelievable. I can't believe that a country such as ours allows All right, so our case this week is Lori Dan. And as we mentioned, we learned about her through the Tylenol murders case because she was briefly looked at by the FBI as a suspect in the poisonings due to the fact that she had, as we mentioned, dabbled in poisonings herself rather Mm -hmm. poorly. Um, She was looked at and then quickly dismissed as a suspect, Um, not nearly savvy enough to pull off uh, something like the Tylenol murders, first of all. And then like where she was in the timeline of her life didn't match up at all at the time that the Tylenol poisonings happened. She hadn't poisoned anyone yet. She was... I believe in a better time of her life. She was like married. She had just gotten married and stuff like that. Right. It's basically just her proximity to the crimes and then what she later was convicted of that made her a suspect, I think. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Because she's in the Chicago. Chicago. Yes. But yeah. But the timeline just didn't add up as far as what she was up to at that time. Exactly. Exactly. And like you said, I mean, she wouldn't have gotten away with this anyways. She was just with her mental, her mental disorders and whatnot. I feel like they would have given her away. Yeah. At some point in time, I just don't think you'd be able to. Although she was able to pass any polygraph test, which we'll, True. which we'll get to. It's pretty... polygraph proof, dude. She she could. It, yes, she is well, a because... prime example of why those things are flawed. If you truly believe the lies you're telling, it seems like you're you know you can you can go ahead and pass one of those things. Right, if you're just stone cold with your heart rate. Yeah, and she was someone who did because she honestly believed what she thought. Whatever her truth was, she was 110% convinced of it. So when she went in to take this polygraph, easy, yeah. easy peasy, man. She's going to pass it every time, yeah. which is why they need to be thrown out. Yeah, and it was a, that was a hell of a bitch for her husband at the time, wasn't it? Because 
She was doing things to him <laughs> yes. that were horrendous, stabbing yes. him with ice picks and then just going in and lying about it and getting right. like po- passing polygraphs. Meanwhile, it, he's failing the polygraph. He's <laughs> <laughs> <Just> fucked. <laughs> so fucked up. Right. I wonder if they told him that she passed the polygraph. That would be crazy, right? I would hope that they wouldn't tell him that until after he'd already done his because that would definitely screw yours up. You know? Exactly. That's what I'm saying. No pressure, but she passed hers, by the way. Yeah. Again. <laughs> <laughs> right. So oh, let's get into her. Uh, Lori right. Dan was born Lori Wasserman on October mm-hmm. 18th, one day after my birthday in 1957. Look well before my birthday. Well, 30 before. years before me. Yeah. Um, she shares the birthday with Chuck Berry, Lee Harvey Oswald, another true crime oh. interesting person, mm-hmm. uh, Zach Efron, and JCVD, John Claude Van Damme. Oh, man. What, what a hero of mine in the 90s. Was he really? You were big, yeah. big into blood sport and all that? I never yeah. really got into those. And Kickboxer? You, don't remember the, you didn't watch those movies? I, I, mean, I mean, I remember them being on TV, but just, I never got super into they, them. They're all know? the same movie. I mean, it's yeah. the same it's plot. Just guys flying through the air in slow motion, like yeah. blood and spit flying, right? Right. Well, it's like you got, you got, you got JCVD, right, who's at the top mm-hmm. of his game. He's going, he's kicking everybody's ass, and then he meets this one opponent who's better than him, just naturally, and they're mean mm-hmm. too, right? They're evil too, obviously. They kick his ass, and then he spends the next half of the movie training and training and training until he's ready to go kick their ass. It's like Rocky. Yeah, pretty much. It's the same plot. And then once he gets there, he gets his ass kicked for like the first, you know, five rounds, and then he finally shows up and starts and starts kicking ass. After the Karate Kid, same same scenario, same thing, man. It's all the same thing. But they were they were new in the '90s, and we liked them. We should make a movie, you know, some sort of uh, combat movie where the, yeah. the villain is actually just a really nice guy. He's like overly nice. He's like, I hate this guy. He's so fucking nice. And he kicks my ass. Right. And he does win at the and end. And then the main character becomes the evil guy because the other guy's oh, so nice. Right. And you're right. following that. Right. Because there has to He's be He's like a trying to blow his knees out and stuff with dirty kicks. Yeah. That's right. And then the, the evil guy at the beginning, actually, who was actually good, he wins. Yeah. Right. <laughs> I don't know. Just it's like Megamind. It's like Megamind. You ever seen that movie? Yes. Where the villain in turn. I have children, so of course I've seen that. Right. I love Megamind. Underrated yeah. animated movie right yeah, there. That's a good flick. Yeah, it is. All right. So Lori Dan, born in, in 1957. Her parents were Norman, uh, Norman and Edith, and she had an older brother who was five years her senior. Mm-hmm. Um, and her family, as you've brought up, was quite wealthy. They, they were doing quite well. They had a home in Highland Park, uh, specifically Glencoe in Highland Park, Illinois, which is a very affluent area. Yeah, North Chicago. One of the more affluent areas in all of the Midwest, right, right. on Lake Michigan. Beautiful if you've seen a lot of uh, movies from the 90s. It mm-hmm. might feature this area. I think Home Alone was uh, this Glencoe area was the setting for that film as well. Oh, really? Yeah. Wow. Okay. Yeah, that puts it into perspective. Right, because that home and like I remember, remember Kevin's older brother Buzz talking about nothing ever remotely even dangerous happens in this neighborhood. Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) yeah, yeah. Lori was a very quiet child. Uh, She was very good at spelling, but an average student beyond that. Kind of an interesting little tidbit there. Yeah, really. Throughout life, when people would approach her, she just seemed like she had issues from from birth. Almost, she just never really. She had no social skills. Right, it, right. It, it came back to bite her time and time again. She she never really had any friends because when people would approach her, she would, I don't know if she froze up or what would happen, but people would come up and say hi to her and try to introduce themselves and she would just give them a blank stare and not respond. Not the mm. best way to make friends. No, not at all. Not at all. I wonder what that, I mean, you think this is just her mental disorders appearing very early on, 
her her hesitancy yeah. to interact. Maybe she maybe she was on the spectrum a little bit too, and her parents didn't know. I mean, because like I said, they were they were in such denial about all of her mental disorders. We really don't oh, know yeah. what she suffered. She was from. a child in the '60s, so I mean, there was who knows yeah. how they were evaluating children yeah. that were a little off or you know different than other children. They weren't right. <laughs> Yeah, just more spankings, maybe. Right. Or with her Get parents that. and their money, maybe just, you know, ignore her. More distractions. Know. They just wanted to yeah. pawn her off. Because I know she spent a lot of her summers um, at summer camp. And I mean the whole summer. It wasn't like summer camp is nowadays where you send your kid off for a week, maybe, at most. No, I mean, she went She went to, like, summer camps for eight weeks at a time as a yeah, child, like through elementary school. So that seems like a good solution as a parent kind of to, you know, make her some friends and get her out in social circles and whatnot. But I don't know if it was possible with I, her at the time. But it, to me, I don't know. I, I might be speaking out of turn, but it almost seemed like they wanted rid of her. They wanted yeah. her to be out of the house as much as possible, especially in comparison to her very successful, very, you know, uh, uh, um, what's the word? Well-adjusted older brother who was five mm. years older than her. Like he did well in school. He had great people skills. He represented the family well, right? Mm. <clears throat> but Lori, on the other hand, was very different. She didn't follow those footsteps and she had her issues. And I feel like they just, the less she was around, the less it reminded her, reminded her parents of her, her, you know, shortcomings in their mind. Yeah. It did feel that way. Yeah. It felt like they wanted to keep her in the background. Yeah, exactly. Uh, she had very few friends growing up. They, uh, her peers described her as shy, uh, shy and quiet. Um, in her early teens, her parents actually had her get plastic surgery done yeah. on her face by a high-end plastic surgery surgeon. As we mentioned, they had a lot of money. Yes. And it's, it's I couldn't find anything as to what exactly was done. Did you hear? Yes. Actually, I did find it. I was, I was going to okay. bring this up. Um, she actually had two surgeries done. Okay. Um, and her, her first surgery was done, like you say, in her early teens, I would say junior high. Mm -hmm. And she had, <laughs> I don't know how they do this, but she had her ears worked on and they were basically moved closer to her head. I guess her ears stuck out as a kid and she was yeah. very self-conscious of it. And so her parents actually had surgery and she had like bandages around her head and she went to school like that for a while and kids made fun of her for that. But once they were removed, I guess her ears laid more flat on her head. Yeah. And then and then later on, um, after she graduated high school, she had nose surgery. She had a nose job done, actually, to reduce the, the wideness of her nose. I mean, and this is just, that's all before I think she's 20 years old. Which is pretty yeah, crazy. Definitely, you can tell it was a high-end surgeon because when you see pictures of her, you, you, she doesn't look like, you know, a lot of times you see people that have had plastic surgery and it's quite obvious right away. Right, like, oh, they've right. had work done. It didn't. She she looked fairly normal, which a little is bit crazy, crazy in her 70s. eyes, which is not surprising, considering her mental state. Right. Um, but yeah, her nose looked pretty normal to me. Um, yeah. And the ear thing, I get it. Like for for girls, like the ears sticking out past the hair is yeah. an unfortunate look at times. Right. Right. And and someone who's already shy and feels different and awkward yeah. than other people, it could yeah, it could compile pretty quickly. Mm -hmm. So, but yeah. That being said, kind of a, it's an interesting thing to teach your children that you can just buy your problems away, you know? Oh, there's something yeah. about yourself well, that you don't like and others make fun of. Let's just throw some money at it and make it go away, which was always her parents' solution. I mean, were her parents doing it for her or were they doing it for them? You know, that's another thing. That's an argument <clears throat> that can be had for sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because that's a lot of money to spend on a teenager 
who hasn't even, I mean, she's not even fully developed. She's not even who she's yeah. going to be yet. Yeah, she you're might already, grow into those years if you give right. her a chance. And you're already changing her body at such a young yeah. age. Yeah, I mean, teens are awkward. Like there's like, kind of like how old people parts keep growing. Teens yeah. haven't grown into certain parts yet. Like teens right. need to grow into their ears and their nose sometimes. Whereas as you get older, the nose and the ears seem like they keep growing. Yeah. But, <laughs> yeah. That is an unfortunate uh, fact of humanity. Yeah. You, I know I was awkward as fuck at 14. You know, I was as tall as I am now and I weighed like 112 pounds. Uh, <laughs> right. That's yeah. six foot two. It takes know? a while to grow into your frame. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, um, no doubt. And that's part of humbling you and making you a well-adjusted person is like, you, you right. are not perfect. It is what people are going to pick on you for certain things. I was called El Scranio for a while there. Right, right. Which is has just is. motivated me to lift more as an adult still to this day. I still wear that chip <laughs> on my shoulder. So There you go. There you go. That's how you take so it. So Lori would, Lori would go on to attend Highland Park High School before transferring to New, New Trier High School in Glencoe, which is a very high-end high school. Mm-hmm. Um, and she tried out for the cheerleading squad while at, uh, new Trier and didn't make the cut. Mm. Yeah, I could see that. She wasn't, she wasn't really part of that squad. You know what I mean? I think she wanted that. And I think she wanted that for the respect of her parents. Yeah. It, but, uh, that just wasn't in the cards for her. I don't know how that worked. It, it cheerleading. I don't know how much it is like bringing on. That's my reference point for cheerleading. <laughs> classic but cheerleading movie i think unlike most sports where the coaches and the staff at the school decide who makes the team on whatnot it seems yeah. as though cheerleading is different in that like the cheerleaders definitely seem like they have a say because there's you know the small squad and like right it seems like if they don't want a certain girl in the girl might not get in even right if they are it's, decent at cheerleading it's definitely mo the most uh popularity based sport yeah. in high school i would say Mm -hmm. I think if you're good enough, it doesn't matter your lack of friends or your social status or whatever for almost every other sport. But for cheerleading, it's like, we have a certain image to keep up here. Mm -hmm. At least it feels that way. At least yeah. it feels that way. If if you were a cheerleader, uh, fill us in on how or how are, how are uh, yeah. people on the squad picked? How, how did that work? I'm exactly. fascinated. It's a weird little club. I found it interesting that Lori during this time also worked part-time at a Kmart, you know, like mm. her parents coming from so much money. I thought that was a good sign. Like, Hey, you know, still making her make some money for herself and not just handed everything. But right. maybe that was also them just trying to get her out of the house. <laughs> yeah. It's a little of both. <laughs> yeah. yeah. A little of both. I'm sure. We could be being unfair to her family too, to her parents. I know they've been, they've been ridiculed relentlessly for what the way this thing plays out, the way that Lori's life turned out. Yeah. And they're, I'm sure, not entirely to blame. But they are know. largely, though. I mean, they ignored yeah. a lot of things. They really yeah. did. I don't know. There's a lot of warning signs early on that were pushed under the rug. Yeah. 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 And you'll see as we go through this. So she she did always seem to do okay with uh, the opposite sex. You know, she, she had frequent boyfriends, um, but little to no female friends throughout her life. Mm-hmm. Um, she would graduate from Nutrier High School in 1975 with average grades and went off to high school at, or went off to college at Drake University in Iowa. And she had no shortage of opportunity to go to different colleges, whatever college she wanted to go to due to her parents' wealth. That had to have been it because it was not grades based. No, she that's would, what she would end up at Northwestern. She would yeah. end up at Arizona State, Drake, all these colleges that a that's, lot of people would love to go to, but absolutely. you know, either don't have the grades or the the financial ability to do so. Yeah, that speaks highly to her parents' success, financial success, mm -hmm. because, like you say, she was just an average student at best. Yeah, with all these social and you know communication hangups as well. 
Yeah, it's not like she was in a bunch of clubs and committees and things like that either. Right, right. So. Yeah, it's odd. <clears throat> Shortly after arriving at Drake University, a girl from New Trier High School noticed uh, Lori walking around the campus and approached her and said, hey, I recognize you from New Trier High School. Yeah. You're also at Drake. You know, they try to try to become her friend and uh, they began walking to class together. Right. Um, Which so is there you normal. Go. Yeah. It's refreshing when you go to a college and you, you see somebody that you went to high school with. Yeah. I know. Like there's when a, I, go ahead. I was just going to say, there's a, a story about this girl later on though. And yes. how much she meant to Lori, which was nothing. <laughs> so, <laughs> right. Well, this is kind of an interesting thing. It, like you said, I mean, they're both, they're both in a new pond, right? They're, they're yeah. fishing or thrown into a new pond and they were familiar with each other. So it's like you're reaching out for any type of familiarity when you first go to mm. college. I know I was lucky when I went to college, I had a few close friends that went to the same college as me at the same time. And without them, it would have been extremely awkward experience. Yeah. You know, you don't, you don't want to be the only person like walking around campus with not talking to anybody. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, you know, in the more recent times, it's harder. It gets harder and harder to make new friends. It really does. With like the further technology advances, the more people don't need friends. They're yeah, just like. In public, you feel like you're interrupting someone, right? Because they're always inevitably staring at their phone. So yes. like there's not as much opportunity for them, no. you know, just catch someone just looking around and come up and, hey, how you doing? I'm so-and-so. I'm serious, man. Making new friends. If you really think about it, when's the last time you made a really good new friend? Yeah. That you weren't forced to be around, you know, like me and yeah. you were forced into a truck yeah. together for 10 hours a day for weeks on yeah. end, and here yeah. we are. But then but, again, we could have been on our phones that, um, a lot of that time too, which we weren't. Yeah, true. I mean, even even people like that, I've, I've trained people and I've been with people for that long and we didn't become that good of friends. A lot of Very it has true. to do with their perspective. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, the two of the two of these uh, girls, Lori and this this other girl that went to the same schools as her, would frequently walk together to class during her freshman year. However, this would end soon as this would be uh, Lori's only year at Drake University. She would, after her freshman year, transfer to Arizona State. Hmm. Um, That's be nice. That's quite a privilege to just be able. To, eh, I'm tired of this one. I'm going to go to another high end yeah. school. I think I'm going to go to the other side of the country. Forget yeah. this. Yeah. Get a fresh um, start. Yeah, and at this point, she decided what she had want, what she wanted to do with her life following uh, college, and that was to become a high school teacher when she graduated. Oh, okay. Which right. thankfully she never would become because that would be that would be awful. Yeah. That would be that would be a disaster, honestly. Yeah, unless obviously she got treatment and, and fixed her issues. Right, right. Which, which she never did. No. Um, while at Arizona State, she would pledge to the Alpha Delta Pi sorority. Um, and in her junior year at Arizona State, she began dating a fellow student who would pop back up later in this case, thanks to Lori. Uh -huh. He was an undergrad at the pre-med program, and she was convinced that he was the one, quote-unquote, and began demonstrating controlling behavior towards him, alarming behavior, mm -hmm. and obviously being put off by this and not having the time for this. You know, being a pre-med student, you have very little time. Right. Um, he doesn't have time to deal with this controlling girlfriend and he would end up breaking up with her and she would struggle following this breakup and this seemed to just further her decline. Mm -hmm. Do um, you think you think she was after him a little bit because he was destined to be a doctor in the health I'm field I'm sure that too? didn't hurt. I'm yeah. sure that did not hurt. I'm sure that, and that also probably looked really good to her parents who I'm sure she was in oh, constant yeah. contact with. Yeah. You know, they're thinking, oh, thank God, someone else to take care of Lori so we don't have to. Yeah, perfect, right? The doctor. <laughs> yeah. Um, mm. In the summer of 1980, Lori, with the help of her parents, packed up her things and moved back to Glencoe, Illinois. 
getting away from the situation, mm-hmm. getting out of Arizona, which reminded her of her you know, boyfriend that broke up with her. Right. She loved to she run would, from her shit. That's one thing she would do. If something bad happened, she dips out. Yeah. Well, this and is her parent, with the help pattern. of her parents. Yeah, she always had that ability because her parents could just throw money at the situation. She, that's right. She always Most had a people would be net. like, you're enrolled at Arizona State. We're paying a boatload of money for you to go there. You yeah. better see this thing through. Exactly. At least finish off this semester or yeah. you know this year. But no, they always were there to bail her out. They were her perfect little safety net. She could always just <laughs> let go. Yeah. Yeah. She then enrolls at another nice college, Northwestern University, with the goal of finishing the new credits she needed for her degree in education. However, she was still struggling with that breakup with the pre-med student back in Arizona, and she was not in a good place. And she would drop out of Northwestern without a degree and not return to college for many years at this point. Yeah. There's always a reason not to do something, right? And yeah. how the saying goes, mm-hmm. Lori took advantage of every single one. That's for yep. sure. Then in 1981, uh, she was unsure about what to do with her future, and she would take a job as a waitress at the Green Acres Country Club in Northbrook, Illinois. And while serving yeah. tables there, she would meet a man named Russell, Russell Dan, who went by Rusty, and that's how mm-hmm. we'll refer to him throughout the rest of this. Right. Rusty, also- had, Rusty was a you know, prestigious member of this community. His family were very wealthy, even mm-hmm. more wealthy than uh, Lori's family. Yes. Um, they, they owned a large insurance company, and... Very well off, and yeah. he was a good-looking, dark-haired man that just she she just caught his eye, I guess, you know, while waitressing at this place, and you they know, began dating. Several months later, Rusty would propose to Lori while they were vacationing in Boca Raton. You know, a fun fact about this country club that she just so happened to get a job at—it's a uh, all-Jewish country club, which I found out, and no longer um, open. I looked it up on Google Map Street View yes. or whatever; it's closed. Yeah, but it was very yeah. prestigious place. Yeah. Back in the day, like I said, uh, you know, very wealthy. There, you were wealthy if you even ha- were a member here, yeah. which like most country clubs. But this one was top of the top. You know what I mean? Yeah. I just can't help but think that maybe her parents helped get her in over there. Possibly. Trying to find her a man, right? Yeah, yeah. It's like, hell, yeah, I know the perfect point. place. And not only that, I mean, worst case scenario, you get amazing tips. Yeah. I mean, you're at a country club, right? So mm-hmm. there's no harm, yeah. no foul. But she ended up meeting her husband there, which was her plan all along probably. Yeah. So they would go on to get married in September of 1982. And unfortunately for uh, Rusty, they would have a small wedding because he had a very large circle of friends and large mm-hmm. family. And he, he always, I think he always wanted the big extravagant wedding, but at yeah. the request of the Wassermans, Lori's family, they requested that, you know, they keep this a smaller affair for Lori's sake because she had no friends, no bridesmaids to speak of. She didn't even have a sister that she could have in her bridal party and she had no friends. So it would just be very embarrassing for the Wassermans to have her up there with nobody and then him having all these groomsmen and thousands of people looking on. (laughs) Yeah, that would have been awkward, right? He's up there with like four groomsmen and she's got nobody behind her. You'd think her parents could have just bought her some fake friends for a little bit for the wedding, you know? Can't you just pay (laughs) I'm surprised they didn't just fix that problem too with money. Right? You don't got like some distant cousins or something you could throw in there? Like, who cares? Or just anybody, dude. Just put an ad out. Like, we need some uh, beautiful women to pretend to be a friend of my daughter's (laughs) for one day. (laughs) Right. Yep. You got to be able to fit into these dresses. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Oh, shit. Yeah. Yeah, I'm surprised. But also, you know, I'm not surprised because having a small wedding obviously is a lot cheaper. And, you know, I'm sure they were very money conscious people, even though they were wealthy. 
Yeah. You know, so they're like, hey, I don't know. They did throw, times. they threw 15 K at, uh, the newlyweds following the wedding, which is, I think the equivalent of like 40,000 now. Jesus. Yeah. And you got to think that plus what his parents gave him, which I can't imagine was nothing because they were even more wealthy than the Wassermans. Yeah, and then right. whoever else attended, you know, those yeah. envelopes. What a start off. Must be nice, right? Yeah, seriously. Golly, I'd take my wedding gifts and go buy a home. <laughs> well, they did. <laughs> they went nice. on to buy quite a nice starter home, I guess you could call it. Most people's dream home, but for them, a starter home. Yeah, right. Yeah, It'll do they for would, now. Yeah, they would buy a, a, a large, beautiful home in a nice area. Mm -hmm. um, and however, things seemed on the surface to be going well for Lori. Her mental illness was only getting worse during this time. Uh, Rusty would come home from long days at the insurance company uh, to find the house a mess, no dinner, and Lori watching TV, mm -hmm. no job, just kind of wandering around the house, lounging, and doing odd things as well. Like she would start doing laundry, do the washing part, and then not transfer them to the dryer. She would then take the wet clothes and then like stash the clothes in different drawers around oh the my house. God allowing them to just mildew ruining that's, the furniture like the dresser awful. she put it in you just have mold and shit now that may be the worst crime that she committed honestly <laughs> <laughs> she shot a child not like, not like, I, know, I, know, I know i know i'm I know. kidding uh, but um, that is that is fucking awful that should have been a sign right there like yeah who folds white clothes come on don't don't but yeah. to be far she never did anything for herself no she was probably never taught to do any of these things you know yeah I don't know. Yeah. I don't know if she had chores growing up or what, but I mean, it, I doubt it. I'm pretty sure most of it was taken care of for her. Yeah. Mm. Uh, she would also store her makeup in the microwave. So yeah. Why? Why? When old Rusty had no dinner when he got home. He went to go microwave something. <laughs> and he, you know, couldn't even do that. What the fuck is your lipstick doing in here? What? What, what is yeah. this? <laughs> what are you? Yeah. I don't like putting it on cold. <laughs> right. She. Uh, yeah. She. she She's believed to have had a uh, severe obsessive compulsive yes. disorder. Yes. Not trying which, to make light of it. But yeah. No, I mean, it's, I don't want to say scoffed at, but it's kind of overlooked anymore because there's so many other mental illnesses going on. But that it, can absolutely be a brutal thing to go through when your mind just won't let you ever enjoy anything. And it's yes. just constant, like thinking whatever you do is the wrong thing or like, I have to do this. I have to. You yes. saw it in as good as it gets Jack Nicholson where it's she was a bit like that with the light switches and like just yeah. constantly feeling like she has to do this or else something bad is going to happen. That was her right. whole life was like that. Also, uh, it brings to mind matchstick men by Nicholas cage. I've mentioned that movie mm -hmm. a few times, but Nicholas cage has as bad OCD and Tourette's mm -hmm. in that movie. And it's, it's a, yeah, it's a shining example. It can be debilitating for sure. If it's not Absolutely. treated, it just gets and, worse too. And it's kind of frustrating how much uh, the term OCD is thrown around. Like people make such light of like, oh, I'm just so OCD about that. It's like, no, you're not. You just like that a certain way. Like don't, you're not OCD. Like there's people who literally can't go through life without doing things like that. Right. You know what I mean? Like it's a big difference. And it I gets, think it's a very it understandable downplayed. illness too. Cause I mean, we all have our little quirks and we've mentioned how I like having the volume on even numbers and yeah. things like that. And there's right. things I do, especially like when watching football, you know, or like I have my little quirks. I, I guess you call them superstitions. I was but about to say, a level, that's, that's they're a slighter level, you know, of OCD, I suppose. Right, but, right. Uh, right. I, there was a moment as a kid where I, it started to go down a bad road for me, where I, I remember a specific day at the grocery store where I felt like I had to touch every label on this aisle of cans or whatever and like freaked my mom out. Oh. Yeah. Wow. But, the can aisle too. That's the most stocked aisle. Jeez, there's so many right. different things there. 
Couldn't do I it like, like on the cereal. Got to the end and I had realized I had missed one. And I had to run back and touch it. <laughs> I was just like, oh boy. <laughs> I forgot the chicken noodle was stars. Can't let this get worse than it is. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I'm glad you made yeah. it out of it though. I'm glad you uh, yeah. recovered for the most yeah. part. Um, yeah. So also during this time, during the early part of their marriage, um, on one occasion, on one occasion, Rusty convinced Lori to accompany him to the, an end of a year holiday party for his insurance company. Mm-hmm. She didn't usually go to these things, which bothered him. You know, he had all these events and stuff that he wanted to take his young, pretty wife to, and she never wanted to. Right. But uh, on this occasion, he took her to this, this party. And while at the party, uh, the girl that, uh, Lori had gone to both high school and Drake university with that. They walked yeah. together in class and stuff. What happened to be at this party with her husband, just a strange coincidence. They keep running into each other. Great. Their, right. Cro- their paths keep crossing. This and is And this great, girl immediately typically. recognizes Lori and you know, they, they go up and the husbands introduce each other and whatever. And the, the woman's like, Hey, I remember you. We went to college together. I mean, we used to walk together and blah, blah, blah. And Lori just uh, that same blank stare, just no response. Just- that's so creepy. Yeah. That's so it's creepy. Odd. I mean, what what's going through her head? You think she just doesn't know what to say? But also, she's spending a lot of time alone right now. Yeah. And like, if you spend a lot of time alone in your own head, you know what I mean? She's at home putting her makeup in the microwave yeah. and stuff. I think she lost touch with and reality. The, and yes. the real world feel, felt almost fake to her at that point. Like, Yeah. And I think that this is what she thought she wanted. I think she thought she wanted to be a housewife and a mother like her mother. Mm-hmm. But when she had all that time to just sit and be by herself, it just made everything worse. It's like she got more antisocial. Yeah. Um, and it just, I, I think she honestly didn't know how to respond in a lot of these situations. That's why she didn't want to go. Probably gave Very her extreme true. anxiety being at these yeah. places. Yeah. So. Uh, that, yeah, you're right, man. I didn't think about that, but that might have been the worst thing for her to just be, uh, get married to a wealthy man and just have the ability to just sit around the house all day. Yeah. And, and not just have be in interaction. Her own mind. Like, she needed more interaction with people. Yes. Because she Constant. was spiraling. She yeah. still, she needed to practice those skills. It's just yeah. like, I hear so many people like, oh, I'm just, I'm just awkward. I'm socially awkward. I'm like, well, you're, you don't go in social in situations. If you don't go in these situations. You expect to be good at anything without any practice. Exactly. I mean, exactly. That's like saying, that's like never putting on a pair of rollerblades and be like, oh, I'm just not a good rollerblader. Well, yeah. You never done it before, like, yeah. Yeah, it's simple. Yeah, <clears throat> yeah. So some of the other quirks that she displayed uh, of her disorder, she would you know tap the f- tap her foot at every stoplight. She washed her hands compulsively, kind of like Jack Nicholson, and yeah, and as good as it gets. Uh, uh-huh. But meanwhile, her her actual hygiene of her body was suffering. She throughout her adulthood did not shower enough. She had. It, it seems as though she had severe BO and it would only get worse over the years. Mm-hmm. Could use some Oh My Gaia. We'll just put it that way. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. Um, by 1985, Rusty Dan had officially had enough. You know, he, he knew that she was, she was, you know, a little strange when they met and even marrying her, he knew that she was, mm-hmm. you know, yeah, a, little a little off. Different. But it just continued to get worse and this was not what he was looking for with his life. He had so much going on and, she was holding him back and uh, he moved out of their home and into an apartment. I don't know to what extent he tried to get her help. Can't say. It's it's hard to tell. You know, maybe, maybe he tried to get her to get treatment. She also refuses treatment later. So it's hard to know yeah. to what extent she was even treatable because she was so resistant to it. You know, right. unless her family was willing to like put her in, physically 
restrain her and put her into treatment. I don't know if that's, that was even possible if she was an adult, you know? Right. Yeah. I don't think you can do that. I don't think you can force someone yeah. into Not anymore. treatment or rehab. Not anymore. Or I mean, we, t- we did covered a case, uh, was Nellie Bly where they used to just Oh my God. Straight jacket women and just throw yeah. them in an asylum for next to nothing. Right. If Those they got, days are long gone, thankfully. Yeah. Seriously. Husbands would just be mad at their wives and take them and be like, she's crazy. Yeah. Exactly. It's like, what the hell? Yeah. That, yeah. that one's eye opening. Yeah. So um, he would uh, tell her that she needed to move back with her parents in Glencoe, which would be a, a constant theme throughout this. She would go yes. somewhere, it would go poorly. She would go back to Glencoe with her parents. Yep. Um, at this point, uh, Rusty put their home up for sale, and within days of Rusty moving out, he began receiving a series of hang-up phone calls, and his parents and siblings did the same. And you're talking dozens of phone calls a day that were hang-ups, and then those would, over the years following, progress into straight-up threats. Mm-hmm. Um, they would pick up the phone, and this person on the other end would be threatening to kill their family members and things along those lines and to the extent to where the fbi would later get involved because she's doing this across state lines she would end up doing it to her ex-boyfriend in arizona the pre-med student she'd begin doing this to as well from illinois making threats of rape and all of these things we'll get into those Mm. so in april of 1986 this is fucking scary um well, no, not this one. This is one of them, but the, the next one's scarier. Yes. <laughs> so in April of 1986, Lori filed a police report stating that Rusty had broken into her parents' home and vandalized it. There was no evidence. Police investigated <laughs> and nothing came of it. It's like she didn't even vandalize the home herself to like... Right. <laughs> they, they get there and they're like, this place is immaculate. What are you talking about? <laughs> well, I already cleaned it up, but you should have yeah. seen what he did. <laughs> right. Um, shortly after this, Lori would buy a 357 Magnum handgun. Oh, great. Yeah. Yeah. This is America, though, with no priors. Anybody can buy one. Yep. Yeah. So, yeah. Hey, I'm all about being able to own guns, but certainly if you have some documented uh, mental illnesses, it should be a little more difficult. Right. But hers wasn't because she hasn't received help. True. And we're also talking, what, late 70s, early 80s at this point? So, Mm -hmm. yeah. Police would learn about the purchase. So, they they, they had their sights on her. They they were walking watching over Lori during this time because she's making all these reports and also Glencoe I don't think is the biggest town and so you know and her yeah. family being kind of prominent mm-hmm. I think the community was aware of her right and right. when they heard about this this uh, gun purchase they allegedly went to the Wasserman home and strongly recommended to Lori's parents that she not have access to this gun and her parents straight up lied and said that we will keep it locked away to where she can't get to it, which was a complete lie. Yeah. Her parents pretty much just said whatever they needed to say. Unfortunately, they always, they always took her side too. Mm -hmm. I mean, always she could do no wrong to them. So in September of 1986, this is the scary one. This is terrifying. This is like a horror movie. In September of 1986, someone broke into Rusty Dan's apartment. Uh, you know, Lori's ex-husband. Well, mm-hmm. they're still married at this time, actually. Right. But going going through the proceedings of a they're divorce. A, right. They've just begun yeah. the separation. Yeah. He's living in this apartment without her. Someone breaks into it in the middle of the night and stabs him in the chest with an ice pick, narrowly missing his heart. Nearly killed him. Yeah, just someone. Yeah, mm. someone. Yeah. Who could this possibly be? Mm-hmm. Police would investigate the stabbing, and Rusty told them about his troubled soon-to-be ex-wife, Lori, and she, of course, had uh, denied any involvement, and her parents likely covered for her with an alibi as well. Yeah, and then I'm sure she believed that shit, too. Yeah. 
you know? And like, uh, like they would know if she snuck out of their house in the middle of the night, you know, she's living there and this happens in the middle of the night. Right. So to the, maybe to their defense, they didn't know, you know, they didn't know she even left or whatever. Well, they didn't want to know. That's for sure. Yeah. A store clerk would come forward and tell police that, uh, they reported selling an ice pick to Lori as well. Unfortunately, mm. there was no other witnesses in the store at the time. So, <laughs> and then you couple that with the fact that police perform polygraph tests on both Lori and Rusty and something we alluded to earlier, Lori passes the polygraph and Rusty fails. <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> oh my God. But to be fair, Rusty just got stabbed in the chest, man. You don't think he's going to be a little bit on edge? Yeah. And can't... what do you expect him to say? I mean, he, d- he didn't see who did it. He was sleeping. He gets stabbed right. and then the person runs out of the room. Yeah. So he has strong, strong suspicions that it was uh, Lori, obviously, but he right. does, he never saw her. So what do you want him to do in the polygraph? You know, exactly. Exactly. What were the questions? You know, like, did Lori stab you? Like he's pretty damn sure, but he can't say a hundred percent. Exactly. And for a normal person, that's going to come across as a lie. <laughs> yeah. So due to the fact that the polygraphed results and the, you know, there being almost no other evidence other than the store clerk who sold the ice pick to Lori, which in her defense, she could have been buying for actual ice picking or whatever the fuck you do with those things, moving I ice guess. blocks. I don't know. They do live in, you know, Northern Chicago. So I guess. Sure. Um, they, they did not charge Lori with this crime. No one, be, no one got charged for it. Um, mm-hmm. Then Lori decided to reach out to her pre-med ex-boyfriend in Arizona yeah. Um, and by this time it had been, I think five years since yes. they had dated and mm-hmm. the man was now married, had a family and Lori begins sending letters to the family, trying to break it up saying yeah. that she was pregnant with his child. Yep. It's the longest pregnancy ever, Lauren. Well, maybe they, you know, the why I'm just trying to think from like the point of view of the wife in okay. Arizona. She doesn't know this girl. She doesn't know they dated. She's just getting a letter saying, I, you know, this other girl is pregnant with uh, your husband's child or whatever. Like right. who knows? Maybe he went on a business trip and who knows? I'm just saying like, it could have fucking really screwed this guy over. Oh, definitely. Definitely. Thank Which is God. what she was hoping for. Right. Thank God he had a good relationship and he was, you know, across the country cause he was in Arizona, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. She then called the hospital in Arizona that he worked at and accused him of sexually assaulting her during an exam in the ER. Jesus room. Christ. This is sadistic. Yeah. Thankfully, the hospital wasn't buying it either. They realized that she had no record of being there and she lived across the country. So this just was not adding up. This is terrifying. Dating yeah. is terrifying. <laughs> right. All you need is oh one one of these that you come across that can fuck your life up forever. Yes. Because we've talked about people like this that just have all the time in the world. Well, she's sitting around mm-hmm. doing nothing other than trying to fuck other people's lives up all day long while you're going to work and yep. dealing with your family. She's just sitting there plotting on what she can do to fuck your shit up. I know, right? She's got nothing better to do. And nope. she believes it too. Once she tells herself something, it's like she believes yeah. that shit to the point where yeah. she can pass a polygraph. So yeah, she's convinced. So the... The doctor back in Arizona, her ex, tried to, you know, inform police of what was going on. They were doing nothing. So he hired a lawyer, smart move. Mm-hmm. And the lawyer contacted the police in Illinois and had the police in Illinois go and uh, warn Lori and her parents t- for her to stop harassing him back in Arizona. Right. And during this time, she was still making frequent harassing calls to Rusty Dan's family members as well. She actually had a real thing, a real hard on for Rusty's sister, Susie. I don't know if it was jealousy. Yeah. It, it was. Susie was a, a teacher, for one, 
Mm, that's and, what she wanted to be. Yep, and a apparently a very good mother and wife, mm. or at least how from dare the outside. She? How yeah. fucking dare how she? How dare she do what that? What an evil bitch. When <laughs> being the woman I want to be, being the woman I want to be, that bitch must die. Go. You and that, your family must die. That's it. That's how she saw it. Instead of bettering herself, yeah, you know. She just decided to eliminate the competition who wasn't even in her life anymore. Like you don't even have to worry about this Susie anymore. You could just go right. on about your life. You're not even connected to her. No, she had her target set, set I, on Susie, man. Big I time. Think, I think she liked being part of this family though, the Dan family. Cause she did keep his last name, which she didn't have to. She did. You know what I'm saying? I think she appreciated being part of this and it made her feel good. And she hated that Rusty left her and she just never forgave him for that. Yeah. Well, the day that made her famous, this rampage she goes on soon in this story, it was she was largely targeting Susie's family during yes. this rampage. She wanted to destroy this family that she was so jealous of and wanted to be. Mm -hmm. She wanted to be Susie, I think. Yeah, she did. Absolutely. <clears throat> so in April of 1987, Lori would tell the police that Rusty Dan had raped her with a steak knife, just furthering the Jesus. accusations. Uh, they would perform a physical examination of her and find no evidence of such a rape. But amazingly, she passes another polygraph test pertaining to the crime. Oh, my God. So did she fully believe this actually happened or was she just that good at at lying? I don't know. I don't know. I mean, she goes into that blank stare state. If she if she was able to go into that state, that, that state of calm and then take the mm -hmm. test, which I'm sure she was able to, she could have said anything. Yeah. Then in May of 1987, uh, <laughs> they would finally get to divorce, mercifully for Rusty's yeah, sake. They would I finally, guess. the divorce would be finalized and Lori would receive $125,000 payoff, which wow. is the equivalent of $315,000 in today's money. God, and she got to go back and live with her rich parents. Yeah. Golly, she was balling. Never had to worry about a dollar in her life, that's for no, sure. absolutely not. And as you mentioned a minute ago, she kept the Dan name. Um, mm -hmm. She liked being a part of that family, as you mentioned. Apparently. I'm sure he wishes she would have changed it back before she did all this shit. Yeah. So now, uh, following the divorce, she's almost 30 years old and fresh out of a four-year marriage that failed and decided to go give babysitting a try for a living. Oh, God, no. She always wanted to no. have uh, influence God, no. over children, right? She wanted to be a teacher and now <laughs> a babysitter. Oh, great. Which is just shocking Worst that her parents would even allow this to happen. You know, I know. like, you In know, she's very disturbed. But once again, whatever gets her out of the house, if it's someone else's problem, it's not ours anymore. God, I guess. Or they were just in denial. You know, they just yeah. thought, well, you know, Lori's working through some stuff still yeah. at 30. And, and it's like some people bring up the fact, well, she never harmed any of the kids that she babysat. And then on the other hand, it's like, well, she did set fire to one of the homes with the children fucking in it. And then yes. she went on to shoot a kid in school. So it's not for lack little, of trying. little spoiler alert for what's coming. But yeah. yeah, she would have absolutely harmed one of these children and not even thought twice about it. She well, just happened not to because she didn't have uh, this obsession with them. And, and, you know, if it was Susie's kid she was babysitting, she absolutely would have oh, killed them. Oh, God. Yeah. Well, she tried to poison some kids she babysat as well. Uh, yes. The same kids that she set fire to the house. Yeah. Those of, poor kids. While they man. were in it. Yeah. Jeez. So she began posting flyers around town for baby babysitting services and soon had several families that she worked for. And it didn't take long for them to report some bizarre behavior that they noticed. Mm -hmm. uh, these homes would notice rugs being cut apart in their home, leather sofas being ripped open. And uh, she even stole someone's garage door opener. Mm. 
which well, is that's, definitely scary because then that's planning later to be able to break in easily. I was about to say, like that. that's the most alarming. Yeah. But why the hell is she cutting up rugs and sofas, man? That is so freaking weird. Maybe Same she, reason she puts her makeup in the microwave and puts wet clothes all over the house. Right? I think she ended up uh, stashing meat and food in the sofas as well at one at one house. That was out of college. That was oh, at, okay. uh, at a college. She, go, I, she ends up going back to Northwestern. And I think that's where she does that is in like the common areas at the college. Stashes, stashes meat in the. <laughs> I mean, Why she's disturbed. Doing... It's not funny on one hand, but it's, it's also not... like of all things to do. Well, that is so I was bizarre. Just, I was just thinking about being the person that finds it being like, what is the smell in this couch? Yeah. It smells like rotten meat. Jeez. Is this a ham? What the? Yeah, it's, it's, just, it's rotten meat what the fuck right wait what the fuck who put the rotten yeah. meat in the couch yeah yeah it's absurd yeah so uh with these strange happenings at the homes that she's babysitting being reported her she would deny it all once again and her parents would once again step in to pay for what was damaged and missing mm-hmm. um and Lori then decided it was finally time for her to finish her degree it had Here been many years many years since she dropped out and she would re-enroll back at Northwestern, where she had last gone to college. And her father even paid some extra to get her a solo dorm on campus, knowing that her being bunked up with someone was probably not a great idea. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, but yet you and still here, keep sending her into these situations. Yeah. And while back at Northwestern, her behavior just hits new heights um, during her second stand. You know, it's got to be that much harder for her to connect. She's now 30 years old, basically. Mm-hmm. And, you know, much older than a lot of the students and she's already had a failed marriage and all of this right. and her mental illness is just getting worse this is where she's caught stuffing meat into furniture in common areas wandering the halls nude and uh filling other students mailboxes with garbage that she had collected very bizarre <laughs> very bizarre mentally ill she's behavior. obviously unraveling here like mm-hmm. this is this is sad it really and her is. parents are just allowing her to be pawned off on someone else right i mean making come it their on. problem they know damn well she was not going to go to Northwestern and just this is going to go well. She's going to get her degree and everything's going to come together. It's, this was the last straw, man. She needed help here. She really did. Yeah. And they failed her in this instance, in my opinion. Her dorm was so filthy and disgusting. Like there was literally like, I, I believe, uh, urine and feces in the room, like human. Oh. And like to the point where it literally had to be, it became like a hazmat situation where... Northwestern right. would end up calling her parents and telling them that her time was up here, that they couldn't handle her anymore. And her father once again paid for her damages and took her back home. Meanwhile, her dorm that she was in had to be cordoned off and cleaned, you know, like we, like I said, with people in hazmat suits. It was yeah. that disgusting. She was actually sleeping in her car because she couldn't even sleep in her own filth. Oh, my God. It was that bad. Oh, my God. Yeah, <clears throat> yeah that's, that's crazy, man. And amazingly, once back... Uh, in Glencoe, what is she living do? with her parents, she would go back to babysitting. Oh, you know, perfect! Because that's what what you do when mm-hmm. you're super disturbed. At, you know, right? And you can't take even care of kids. deal with yourself. You should go take care of other people's children. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. I'm just amazed she gets these jobs. Probably though, because of her past and where she's from, and the affluent family mm-hmm. and the affluent area. Yeah. You know what I mean? It, it looks good her on paper. Her parents probably sold her to uh, other families. Yeah, yeah that's know, what I'm like, saying. It looks good on paper. Her resume looked great. Yeah. So in the summer of 1987, Lori's father would once again, you know, just try to get rid of her. He would rent her an apartment in Evanston, Illinois. Clearly, she can't manage her own life right now. Right. So let's go and get her her own apartment. Out of sight, out of mind. There you go. That'll help. And 
at this apartment building, she would spend entire days riding the elevator up and down. Oh my God. And would wear gloves to avoid touching anything metal. That sounds like She's, a nightmare. I think you're just you're just asking it to get stuck in an elevator riding it that much. <laughs> well, yeah, not only that, but like, do, like does anyone elevators. enjoy elevators? It's just a, like a matter saying. of getting to where you got to go. My God, it sounds like hell just riding up and an elevator up and down. That's what I'm saying. I don't even like taking the elevator. Most of the time I'll take an elevator because I'm like, where are the stairs? Oh, I, yeah, they're oh, stuffy. They're over there. Yeah. You, you just like, ugh. yeah, I don't like them. I don't like them either, man. I definitely wouldn't be riding it day all day long. Chances yeah. of it breaking down, getting stuck, too high for me. No way. Mm-hmm. Now, this is the first we've heard of her actually getting treatment. While at this apartment, Lori was being managed by a personal psychiatrist. Maybe her, her parents finally stepped okay. in and said, look, we'll get you this apartment, but you have to get regular treatment from a psychiatrist. Right. right. Um, but then in November, her parents moved, to her, moved her to uh, housing in Wisconsin, where she was then managed by even more professionals. She began seeing a new psychiatrist while in Wisconsin, also a behavioral therapist, and she was also prescribed clom uh, clomiprene. Clomipramine? I don't know. Clomipramine? Clomipramine. Anyways. It's an OCD uh, medication, right? Yeah, it's an OCD medication. It's also an antidepressant. Um, and it seemed to do no good. It did not. I don't know if she actually wasn't taking it or what, mm -hmm. but her behavior did not change. She also buys two more guns during this time while in Wisconsin. Oh, she purchases a 32 caliber Smith & Wesson revolver and then another 22 caliber Beretta, which at this point she's being treated by three different you know, by medication and by two different well, professionals, right. should not be allowed to buy a weapon. She's on an antidepressant. She's being you know, treated by multiple professionals. I agree. But then again, she's no got record, a history though. of threatening people over the phone. Like she just absolutely, but. But she's I not guess. a felon is what I'm saying. So, mm -hmm. I mean, how do you. I'd like to think in today's age with all of the gun violence that's happened and everything, like they would, be, she would definitely be on some yeah. sort of a list as far as like, you not sell this woman a weapon. Right, but then you could just go to a gun show and just buy one or something. There's always ways of obtaining them. People can gift you a gun as well. Private market. That's right. That's right. Yeah. It doesn't have to be in your name. Yeah. Yep. So her various treatments did not seem to help as she continued all of her same strange behaviors. Um, she had an obsession with good and bad numbers. Uh, and it's also believed she, had, she, was, she may be bulimic during this time. She had an eating disorder. She was less than 100 pounds. Wow. And still making hundreds of phone calls a day to exes and the family of members of exes. Um, and now they were much more threatening, saying she would kill members of the family. Mm -hmm. um, and this is where the FBI starts to get their eyes on her. Um, like we said, these were phone calls that were going across state lines with serious death threats being involved. So the FBI is now aware of her and right. would soon come to try and interview her. And it would be Rusty Dan's sister, Susie, we mentioned earlier, who would bore the brunt of many of these threatening calls. She would call and threaten to harm Susie's children, yeah. unprovoked, for no reason. Well, like, the, I said, like we said, Susie made her feel inferior. Susie had her, had her life. Yeah. You know, that's what she wanted. Yeah. She just couldn't let that shit go. Yeah. Yeah, the Dan family, uh, you know, her ex-husband's family would continue to report these calls to the police. And they, re they even requested, the police at this point would request the Wasserman's phone bill, which included uh, Lori's phone records on it. And mm -hmm. the Wasserman family turned down their request, would not hand over. And mm -hmm. I guess at this time, the police must not have had the power to override that and say, you know, we're going to get a court order to obtain these phone records or call the phone company and say, we're the police, we need these records. You would right. think that would be the way that would go, but they just said no, and that was that. Well, 
There you go. Because they would have definitely had clear evidence that she was the one making all these phone calls. I'm sure she was making a ton of these phone calls from the Wasserman's well, home itself, you know, when she was say, there. Well, just the fact that they denied it, too, it speaks volumes. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, if you got nothing to hide, let us see them. Yeah, so exactly. that didn't, that helped put her more on the target, a more target on her, I would say, at least. Yeah. So in March of 1988, uh, Lori would stop attending her appointments with the psychiatrist and behavioral therapist. She would steal books from the library on poisonings or po on different poisons. She would uh, dilute arsenic and other chemicals from a lab. And she also shoplifted clothes and wigs to disguise herself and was arrested for theft on one occasion. Yeah, this so she's is ramping up. Sign. She's ramping up. Yep. You can tell something's coming. Yep. Um, both her psychiatrist and her father tried to persuade her to enter the hospital as an inpatient, but she refused. She was an mm -hmm. adult during this time. She couldn't be just restrained and thrown into a hospital. Right. She's over 30 years old. Yeah. Um, then in May of 1988, a janitor in the apartment building where she was living in uh, Wisconsin found her lying in a maintenance room under a trash bag, naked and in the fetal position. Oh her parents are contacted, and once again, she's brought back to her home in Glencoe, to their home in Glencoe. Right. Yeah, she's really unraveling here. And the timing of that is interesting because the FBI arrived in Madison, Wisconsin, where her apartment was the next yeah. day after she was after she, that whole event happened and they were yeah. basically about to question her for those threatening phone calls. Damn, just one day late. And they would never get the chance because she would be a woman of action at this point. She was going to carry out some sort of a heinous plan. Apparently. Uh, because back in Glencoe, she suddenly began heavily uh, baking, something she'd oh. never shown any interest in in the past, but now she had a new motivation for it. Uh -huh. She made several trays of Rice Krispie treats that she would deliver to her old fraternity house in Evanston. It's oh odd because she doesn't know any of these girls. She's long out of college. That you know her sorority right. that she was with. All of the people that were in that at the time long graduated. Have you know? That's their what own I was lives. about to say. This She's is just a whole randomly new group trying of girls. to harm people that happen to go to the same sorority as her. Yeah, it's, it's weird. Very odd behavior. Absolutely, it's just like she just can't get past that point in her life. I think where that's probably where she blamed her life going wrong was around that time. Perhaps. You know, and she just couldn't get past that. And so she just wanted to punish the people who succeeded in that area. I don't know. Yeah. It's not it's not for us to diagnose, but it's pretty crazy. These Rice Krispie treats that she brought to that sorority, she had obviously done something to them. She had laced them with uh, arsenic that she had purchased while in Wisconsin. And mm. anyone that tried these almost immediately spit out the first bite due to them <laughs> tasting terrible. And thankfully, right. no one was injured. Yeah, thank God. Thank God sure. she's terrible at cooking even Rice Krispie treats. Even though mm -hmm. they don't even have to be cooked, do they? Don't you just mix marshmallows and you just got to melt the marshmallow and then you put it in the fridge, don't you? I think so. Yeah. You don't yeah, even, I don't think there's any baking going on. Yeah, you're not even baking. You just you just melt yeah, the marshmallow. But when you, I imagine arsenic in itself just has a very probably bitter taste. You know, it probably tastes like ass. Thank God I haven't tasted it before. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I would imagine so. <laughs> yeah. No, yeah. I think there's like unflavored cyanide, obviously, that, you know, people can consume. Right. And that would have been definitely more deadly, too. I, yes. I think the amounts of arsenic I read that she was mixing in was diluted to the point where it would have maybe made someone mildly sick, but it wouldn't have killed anyone anyway. Oh, yeah. Well, she so. wasn't She wasn't the best at math. Spelling was her strong suit, remember? True. Yeah. So during the days before May 20, 1988, uh, Lori prepared rice cereal snacks and juice boxes poisoned with diluted arsenic that she had stolen in Madison. She mailed them to a former acquaintance, ex-babysitting clients, her psychiatrist, Russell Dan, and others. Imagine 
this you you married a, a woman who was severely mentally ill. She stabbed you with an ice pick in the middle of the night. She's mm-hmm. able to lie and polygraphs and get away with it. And then she ships you some juice boxes and uh, Rice Krispie treats, and you just open them up and just like, oh, these are from my ex wife who's oh, fucking thank you so a psycho. Much. <laughs> I'm just gonna gobble these up. <laughs> <laughs> I would immediately not touch the package and send it into to a lab to be tested right? is what I would do. Seriously, I wouldn't even unwrap that shit. Right, exactly. No I was like, I'd be thinking this is a bomb when I get this package. Uh, right. <laughs> you think she just finally decided to forgive and forget? Not a chance, right. bud. So let's get into the day. This is obviously ramping up. Her behavior is only getting worse. And this all yeah. culminates uh, on the morning of May 20th when she personally delivers some snacks and juice samples to acquaintances and families uh, for whom she had babysat. Some of them she had not seen for years. Uh, Other snacks were delivered to several fraternity houses and Leverone Hall at Northwestern University. Mm -hmm. Notes were attached to some of these deliveries. Um, The drinks were often leaking and the the squares of Rice Krispie were unpleasant tasting. So few were actually consumed. And in addition, the arsenic, as I mentioned, was highly diluted and nobody became seriously ill even if they did consume it. Right. Um, however, at about 9 a.m. on that same day, she arrives at the home of the Rush family, a former babysitting client in Winnecta, uh, Illinois. Mm-hmm. Um, and she was just out of the blue, just shows up and wants to babysit the kids. Un, you know, no, no uh, contact prior. Yeah. And the family is like, well, we're moving actually, so we're kind of good. Yeah. And she brings up the fact that there's a fair in town the following day and she's like well while you guys are packing up to move i can take your your boys to the fair hey tomorrow. Or no. well they were like you know that would actually be quite convenient for us it would help us pack up without them around Gosh. and they agree um and so that next so they would actually agree to let her take them to the fair um and instead she would obviously not take them to the fair and have a jolly old time and that was that she would take them to ravinia elementary school in highland park illinois where she believed that both of her former sister-in-law's two sons were enrolled. Gosh, so Susie, still on Susie's Susie. kids. Still on Susie. Um, and I think only one of the children were there. I don't think the other one attended. Um, and she leaves the two children that she's babysitting. And why did she, I just don't get why she wanted to bring these kids along. She's just more carnage. She was planning on killing I, them at the end too. Or what, what was I the guess, deal with that? Or maybe it helps take the, the, um, Suspicion out of showing up to elementary schools unannounced? Yeah, yeah. Maybe. maybe maybe you show up with kids in the car, you look like a lot less of a threat, even if you leave them in the car and yeah. go in. <laughs> I yeah. just don't get how she was able to walk around this elementary school. I mean, I get it. It was like this Different day and time, age. Man. Different this, time. Yeah, this day and age, that shit Dude, our, element, our elementary schools in the early 90s, you could just walk in. There was no yeah. security. There was no locked doors. You could literally That's just true. walk in. Yeah. And walk into a classroom if you wanted to. No doubt. My my fifth grade classrooms uh, at my elementary school had exterior doors to, yeah. from each classroom. For each classroom. Yeah. You could go right out of the classroom outdoors of every oh, single yeah. classroom. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah, somebody could come right in that, that exterior door and be in a classroom in no time. Mm-hmm. Crazy. So she, she shows up to this elementary school where she believes Susie's kids are. She enters the school and tries to detonate a firebomb, quote unquote, which was actually just a Ziploc bag filled with gasoline. <laughs> She opens okay. a, a, like a you know a side door and throws in this firebomb, quote unquote, uh-huh. and it is quickly put out by a staff member. And there's basically all that was left was a little black spot on the floor, a reminder right. of this insane woman. Uh-huh. 
Um, she then leaves there uh, after the small fire she was set was subsequently discovered by students and quickly extinguished by a teacher. She then drove to a local daycare attended by her ex-sister-in-law's daughter and tried to enter the building with a plastic can of gasoline, but was stopped by staff. So Imagine that'll that. get some attention. You're walking into a, you know, a daycare with a can of gasoline. That, a what was her person. excuse? I just want to know what she said to that person. Uh, ma'am, you right. can't bring that gasoline I, in here. I doubt she said anything. She probably gave them that blank stare and then turned around and walked out. Probably. Probably. What can you say? You were just right. hoping to sneak past everybody, apparently. Mm-hmm. That could have gone very terribly because that yeah. is a much more effective, quote-unquote, firebomb, a can yeah. of gasoline. I'm you light she, that thing in there and the whole building probably goes up. Yeah, I'm glad she didn't think that through and, you know, put the can in a bag or something. Mm-hmm. I mean... Yeah, put it in a diaper bag or something like that. Right. That would have been so easily carried in, but I'm glad yeah. she wasn't in her right state of mind here because yeah. a lot of lives could have been lost. Yeah. So next, Lori would drive the children that she was babysitting back to their home and offer them some arsenic-poisoned milk. Jesus. But the boys uh, would spit the milk out because it tasted strange to them. Thank God. Even diluted, that could have been very dangerous for young children to be drinking. Absolutely, you know? man. So Absolutely. Um, horrific. Then once at their home, she would lure them downstairs where the mother was, I think, in the basement doing laundry or something. And so she would lure them down there to meet with their mom. And then she would, the, the mom was obviously surprised to see them back so soon. This is, she was gone for like an hour. She had made those couple trips to the daycare in the elementary school and then was already back. Yeah. The kids come running down the stairs to see their mom. And next thing you know, the basement stairs are being set on fire. She sets fire to the basement while they're trapped in there. And thankfully, there was a window in the basement, as there usually is, and they were yeah. able to escape out of the window. It's like she just wanted to hurt somebody. Yeah. Just anybody. She's just lashing out, man. Just anybody in her way. She was just done. Just anybody. Or yeah. maybe it was kids and mothers in particular. Yes. It did seem like, dude, that is so true. That's yeah. exactly what it was, right? I guess so. It was like anytime she saw a mother with the children or a teacher with children, it just yes. infuriated her. It just triggered her, right? That was the two things she wanted to be. Mm -hmm. And she was just never going to have that, apparently. It was just not in the Such cards. Such a good point. Such a good point. That was absolutely her target, was yeah. just women and, and children. Yeah. Caretakers yeah. and children. Absolutely. So then she drives three and a half blocks to Hubbard Woods Elementary School with three handguns in her possession. God damn. And she would enter this school unabated with guns in her possession and wander into a second grade classroom for a short while. She would then leave. Walking around the school, she would find a boy in the corridor, push him into the boy's washroom, the bathroom, and shoot him with a 22 caliber semi-automatic Beretta pistol. So now she is officially gone violent. I mean, she's had some half-hearted half attempts here, and now it's just full on. She's just progressed into, all right, it's killing time. Um, it's said that her 357 Magnum revol revolver jammed about this time, which just doesn't mm. add up to me. I think she did something wrong because revolvers typically that's their selling point is they don't jam, you know, right. like, I don't think she'd ever even used this gun before. I don't uh, know if the safety was on or she didn't pull the hammer, which, whatever she did. Um, yeah. but thankfully the gun did not fire when she tried to fire that at two other boys. She threw that 357 mag into the uh, trash can along with its spare ammunition. Oh, wow. The boys would run out of the bathroom and raise the alarm. So they run out saying there's a crazy woman shooting people in here. Right. She then re-entered the second grade classroom uh, where students were working in groups uh, on a bicycle safety test. She ordered all the children into the corner of the room, at which point the teacher realized something was wrong. When she came in and sat down, 
the teacher was kind of like, okay, maybe this is someone's mom or mm-hmm. who knows. Wasn't all that. She just continued teaching class. But at this point, when she pulls out a gun and is ordering kids into the corner, the teacher, being a hero, you know, tries to fight with her with that gun in an attempt to disarm Lori, managing to unload the Beretta in the struggle. So I'm guessing Lori yeah. starts shooting the gun. Um, That's pretty She still awesome, had one though. gun left, the 32 Smith & Wesson from the waistband of her shorts and aims it at several groups of students. She then shoots five children. Killing eight-year-old Nick Corwin and wounding two girls and two boys before fleeing in her car. Just a horrendous horrendous scene. Absolutely. And and the teacher, props to the teacher, man, for doing all they could. Um, You know, uh, disarmed her one time, unloaded Mm -hmm. the gun at the same time. Like, props props to them. But they couldn't have known that she had another weapon, you know what I mean? And then I'm sure she acted so quickly at that point. To think only it's one horrific. child died in this whole scenario where she shot, what, like seven or eight kids, including the one kid that she had shot in the bathroom. Yeah. And then the five in here. Luckily, yeah. Luckily, she only used a twenty two caliber on the one in the bathroom. He would have probably been another casualty. Yeah. That's horrific. Um, yeah, you'd think if she had used a three fifty seven Magnum from the jump oh, man. on that kid in the bathroom, he would definitely be gone. Yep. Yep. Um, so she was prevented from leaving the uh, the school Due to a coincidence, there was uh, the roads were closed for a funeral entourage, which is ah. kind of odd and dark in its own way. Like she's out trying to kill people, and that this funeral gets in her way. Yeah, may have saved lives. Mm-hmm. Really, when you think about it, because if she's able to get out of there, instead she ends up, you know, barging into someone's home, and there's a standoff there. Right. Like, who knows where she goes next? Does she go immediately to another school and kill more kids? Like, exactly. Who knows? I mean, she's on a rampage. She has nothing to lose yeah. at this point in her in her mind. Oh, no, I think she's planning on ending her own life on this day, and we see that play out. Yeah. So definitely nothing to lose. No. So she decides to drive her car backwards down the nearby street, which dead-ended into a private drive. Abandoning her car here, she removes her bloodstained shorts and tied a blue garbage bag around her waist. With her two remaining guns, she made her way through the woods. So she must have reobtained that gun that the teacher fought with her for, or she just emptied the the cartridges in it and maybe reloaded it. Right. Um, she would make her way through the woods at this dead end and come upon the house of the Andrew family. And she would enter the home and meet with a mother and her 22-year-old son, or 20-year-old son, who was, from what I heard, an athlete, a swimmer. Mm-hmm. Um, and she would confront these two in the kitchen of this home. And she would play the victim card saying she was raped and had shot the rapist in the struggle. Mm. That's Man, a really just good. Imagine this that's woman actually barges really in your lie. home wearing a trash bag and having two guns on her possession, telling this story. I mean, it's a pretty good lie because she doesn't have pants. You know what I mean? Yeah. That that is, it's like, why else would this woman be running down the street in a garbage bag? Yeah. You know what I mean? You have to think that at first, mm-hmm. and they have no reason not to believe her. And I'm sure she was very convincing. Yeah, she's a career liar. She's right. done it for many years. She can, exactly. can, can, she can literally fool polygraph tests. So right. Exactly. Yeah, so initially it works, and the Andrews family were sympathetic and tried to convince her that she wouldn't be afraid of the police because she had acted in self-defense. Mrs. Andrew gave Lori a pair of her daughter's pants to wear, and while she was putting them on, the son, Philip, was able to pick up and and, uh, put the Beretta that she had sat down in his pocket, kind of securing Mm -hmm. that, just in case. He then suggested that she call her family, and she agreed, calling her mother, telling her that she had done something terrible. Her mother's trying to talk her down, saying, don't harm anyone else, Lori. Um... And the son, Philip, would take the phone and explain the story about the rape and the shooting, suggested that, um, you know, Mrs. Wasserman, the mother, should come and get her. And Mrs. Wasserman said she could not come home, come to the home because she did not have a car. 
mm. you know, which is pretty crazy because like you tell you can't tell me you can't pick up the phone and get someone to go and pick up your daughter before she hurts someone else right like take a cab you're rich what are you doing right or for fuck's sake call the police you know yeah. your daughter's mental state you know she's harming people right you know most nonetheless the police had already been called the police had already been called because of what had gone down at the elementary school just nearby right um and it this whole community was uh, on alert uh, to the point where Mr. Andrew, the, the father and patriarch of the home, had actually become so concerned about this, you know, shooter on the loose that had just targeted the elementary school right near his home, actually left work and came home um, mm-hmm. to find this woman in his house with what was going on, you know, mm-hmm. very odd. Um, and Yeah, and she now has the second gun as well. Um, she called her mother again, and at this time, Mr. Andrew spoke with Mrs. Wasserman, asking her to persuade Lori to give up the gun that she now had. Um, and while Lori spoke with her mother, Mrs. Andrew left the home and alerted the police. So now the police are on to the fact that she is held up in this home. Mr. Andrew then told Lori that he would not remain in the house if she did not put the gun down, and he also left the home, leaving his 20-year-old son, Philip, to stay. Lori ordered that Philip stay with her, hmm. which... I don't know. I don't. I can't I don't get say that. what I would do in this position. But yeah, as the father, I'm I'm staying too. If my son is forced to stay, I'm staying yeah, too. Exactly. There's no way I'm leaving my kid. I don't care if he's 20. I don't care if he's yeah. 50. Yeah. I'm not leaving him with somebody else who was dangerous. A yeah, a disturbed woman with a gun. And it's got to yeah. be clear to them at this point that she was the one that had been doing the shooting at the elementary school, right? Like the jig's <sighs> up. You're not some, just some random rape victim. Like that's right. way too much of a coincidence. Yep. So just before noon, seeing the police advancing on the home, um, Lori would shoot Philip, 20-year-old Philip, in the chest. Mm. He managed to escape out the back door before collapsing and being rescued by the police and ambulance personnel, and thankfully he would later recover from his injuries. And now with the home surrounded, Lori went upstairs to a bedroom. The Wassermans and Rusty Dan were brought to the house, so they're trying to bring people that she knows to try and coax her out of the home, you know, her ex-husband. Yeah. Um, but at about 7 p.m., an assault team would enter the home uh, while Mrs. Mr. Wasserman attempted to get Lori's attention with a bullhorn. The police would find that it had been over for a while. She'd probably shot herself hours ago. She'd, um, they found her lifeless body with a bullet hole through her mouth into mm. her brain, and she had ended her life. God. And that was it. The, the, the rampage went on for a matter of hours. And she'd finally lashed out for all the years of whatever she was going through and wanted to make others pay people, specifically people that she envied. Um, yeah. Mothers of children and teachers of children. Mm. And some would blame her family for defending and protecting her in spite of signs of her deteriorating mental health. Probably rightfully so. It seems like more could have been done earlier on to prevent it from spiraling to the point where it got to where when she finally got treatment, it was, right. she was too far gone. She was, she, yeah, she was nearing 30, if not 30 years old before they been started sick pushing for, her. You know, almost two decades at that point. Exactly. And I mean, you should have, this This help should have been brought on, you know, like, like we talked about, the formative years. Mm-hmm. You know, early high school, college, when she was, when we found that she was unable to be any part of society, like they should have been trying to get her help then instead of just pushing new things to keep her busy and distracted until it just got out of hand. But I mean, as yeah. a parent, you know, it's hard to see the flaws in your own children. It really is. Yeah. It really is. Especially then when mental illness was, it, there was no light on mental illness like there is now. 
You know, right. it's like we we know what we know the signs nowadays. We know to look out for. We know when something is is off kilter and something needs to be checked out. But like in the seventies and the eighties, man, come on, they were just whooping kids. Shut up, behave, stop stop fidgeting. You know what I mean? Yep. It's just it's sad, but it was a perfect storm. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, following the incident, her parents uh, would quickly. Uh, they would they would allow police to do a quick search of her bedroom, not an mm-hmm. extensive search, and then they would allegedly like clean up the room themselves. And it's not known what exactly they were trying to disguise within her room, more evidence of her plots and plans to harm people, maybe. Right. Um, but the police would later be ridiculed for not cordoning off her room immediately following the incidents and doing a, a complete search of it. Who knows what they would have found? Well, I feel like it's all pretty much out there. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't know if you needed more evidence into the horrible things that she did. And I don't think her parents wanted any more publicity. They thought our daughter's dead. I kind of understand it from this, from a parent standpoint, they're like, my daughter's dead. She paid the ultimate price. However, it got there, whatever, like there's no, there's no sense in condemning, condemning the family name or her anymore after death. You know what I mean? But I disagree. I feel like there there could have been things that could have gave other family members closure and could have been more signs that help people in the future. You know, if certain things that they found in her room. There might have been evidence that her parents, you know, could have seen more coming. Like maybe they knew of some like plans that she was going to harm mm-hmm. people and they were just overlooking it, you know, and that's didn't a think she would actually too. do it. You, you, yeah, they didn't want the police finding things that implicated them. Yeah, where they could have stepped in, and they didn't want to be an accessory to this awful, this awful yeah. freaking charade here. Crime spree. Yeah. Wow. Mm. All right. So I don't know of a good segue from that into uh, mm. deodorant, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, let's don't talk be, about our sponsors. Oh my Gaia. Right. Don't be like Lori Dan. Smell good. Use Oh my Gaia. Right. Yeah. Is is that is that pretty good? That's good enough, I suppose. Is that pretty good? Okay. <laughs> the darker the case, the harder it is to segue into a sponsor, you know? No doubt. And Unless it's something like BetterHelp or something for mental health. It'd be a right, good episode right. to have like a mental health sponsor. Check out yeah. BetterHelp. It's not even an actual sponsor, but if you're, you know, you're having some struggles internally, there's a lot more avenues nowadays than there was for Lori for you to be able to get help even without other people helping you to get help. You can no help doubt. yourself very easily nowadays. So Yeah. From the comfort of your own house. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, but something else you can get delivered to your house in the comfort of your own house is deodorant yeah, very true. and beard yes. oils and scented oils from Oh My yes. Gaia. Oh My yep. Gaia is an innovative, all-natural deodorant fragrance and beard oil company specializing in paraben and aluminum-free products. And their innovative line of deodorants inhibit the growth of odor-causing bacteria while still maintaining effectiveness. And like I said, at Oh My Gaia, they use only all-natural paraben and aluminum-free organic ingredients. And guys, there's tons of scents to choose from, from vanilla, cherry, almond, sandalwood, lavender, lemongrass, Egyptian musk, coconut, dreamsicle, leather, lumberjack, honeysuckle, fireside, bergamot, amber, pear. And we also have our own scent, True Crime Pine. And because you guys are True Crime Guys listeners, you can use the code to get 15% off your order. And that code is CREEPER for 15% off at shop underscore ohmygaia on Instagram or ohmygaia.com. That's O-H-M-Y-G-A-I-A.com. Again, that's code word creeper for 15% off your order, guys. If you're looking for a natural deodorant, beard oil, or scented oil, give Oh My Gaia a chance. You will not regret it. Tons of happy customers. Go check them out. 
Tons of happy customers of our other weekly sponsor, Tonic, as well. And that same code word, Creeper, will get you 20% off your order over at tonicvibes.com. And I highly recommend their products. We use these daily. Um, there's so many uh, different ways that CBD can help you, whether it's you know chronic pain, uh, just with overall health and with mental health as well. It can help you with anxiety and things like that, help you get better sleep. Um, so go check out tonicvibes.com where their farm to bottle CBD plus botanical blends are uniquely formulated to provide targeted support where you need it most. Each and every one of their highly, uh, high quality ingredients is thoughtfully selected for its ability to support and enhance the benefits of CBD resulting in a more effective, well-rounded and consistent wellness solution for your mind and body. They have a bunch of different blends. Um, but, uh, you know, chill tonic has been one of my favorite to help me get sleep at night. It has ashwagandha, lemon balm, and passion fruit blended into it for a super calming effect. Um, they also use black seed oil in some of their blends, which is an antioxidant powerhouse. Um, and it's easy to verify the quality of their products. They have a microchip uh, in the packaging. You download an app, you tap your phone on there, and it'll bring you to information about what's in that bottle of what you're consuming. Uh, third-party lab reports, product information, details about their farm, and even blog posts to help provide you with education on CBD. So with values rooted in quality, integrity, and sustainability, Tonic is committed to creating plant-based wellness products that are good for you, good for the planet. Visit tonicvibes.com, 20% off using the code word creeper. That's right. Check it out. That's right, they guys. Have, they have vape pens. They have uh, tinctures. They have uh, edibles. Like you, you name it. Um, Pre-rolls, even Pre if you, uh, you like to smoke. You know, so That's whatever right. you need. CBD and CBG pre-rolls. Guys, yep. very high quality. Very high yep. quality. All right. Also, check out Patreon, guys. Right. Uh, if you like what we do here at True Crime Guys, if you want to support the show and support the network, check out patreon.com slash Guys. And for $2 a month, you guys can get access to all of our vault episodes where the first 50 episodes that we did on True Crime Guys proper uh, is there in the vault waiting for you, as well as 70-plus True Crime Guys Patreon-exclusive episodes that have not been released on the free platform. And if you bump up to the $5 tier, you can get access to literally everything else. You get access to the vault and the premium episodes, as well as Just the Banter, which me and Lauren are about to record. We're getting back to Just the Banter here at the first of the year. Um, as well as Sandu Stories, uh, Strange Shorts, five, Lauren's 5-Minute Murder Show, Higher Thoughts, and everything. Like we said, everything we create is on the $5 tier. And guys, you can pay up front um, for a year and you get a 10% discount. If you'd rather do that, you ain't got to worry about getting your card hit every month. And also, now Patreon has um, incorporated a new policy where you pay every month on the day you sign up. So Patreon used to be kind of aggravating where you would pay on the 1st no matter what. So if you signed up on January 31st, you would pay for a full month. And then on February 1st, you would pay for another full month. So now you don't do that anymore. Um, you pay on the day that you sign up. So you get a full month of content um, right up front. Nice. So again, that's patreon.com slash true crime guys. There is links right below the description of the episode as well as links to our YouTube, right? Go check us out on YouTube. This episode is on YouTube with video and yep. pictures pertaining to the case. And uh, of course, you get you can see Lauren and I put faces to the names. And please subscribe. Uh, tell your friends. Go check us out on social media at True Crime Guys. And uh, yeah, that's pretty much it, right? That about does it. We'll see you next week for another Freeloader episode. Thank you for listening. Keep creeping. Keep creeping, guys. In the desert, we like a mirage It's okay if you clicked on us Cause you thought we was True Crime Garage Now we ain't mad at you Sit down, let us talk at you 
I'm talking to the creeper army. We out here making murder, get murder, get murder. check out all the other programs on the TCG network. Every Wednesday, a new episode of True Crime Guys proper, Strange and Unexplained on Mondays, and Full House Fantasy Football on Fridays to start your weekend. If those aren't enough, head on over to our Patreon account, where you can have access to hundreds of hours of content, including older episodes and other Patreon exclusives like Strange Shorts, Sandu Stories, Higher Thoughts, and the 5-Minute Murder Show. But until next time, guys, keep creeping. How do you shut this thing off? Over? Over?